Well, here we are in Advent, and we are looking at the book of Isaiah, the prophet who wrote 700 years before Jesus came. And each week, one of us are grabbing something he said to say, Merry Christmas. So today, it's chapter 42, and it's all about the servant of God who brings justice to a weary world. So, you remember when you were a kid at Christmas? All those emotions and more going on? And maybe, maybe, do you remember when you were wishing, maybe hoping for a particular gift and someone else got it and you didn't? Or maybe there was a, uh, let's say, a promise that someone in your family made about uh, doing something very special at Christmas, and it just never happened. You remember? Even back then, you might have thought, life isn't fair. Well, that's right. And isn't it true, sadly true, that childhood disappointments are just previews for the rest of our lives, Um, whether it's as big as international wars or, as we hear almost every day, the random murders in Philadelphia or maybe something not as big as that, maybe like something that happened to me this week, a phishing email where someone was trying to... uh, I guess, steal money or have other people contribute to their account when it was supposed to be my account. And you think, really? People spend their time doing this? This just isn't right. Or whether it's your or my outburst of anger that I thought was justified, but you end up hearing that it wasn't. All of this, and so much more injustice, brings a certain weariness, doesn't it? I mean, isn't, isn't there? Yeah, you know what I think is happening now, too, in a, in a media-saturated environment where you can take your phone right now and see what the latest headlines are from around the world, but you're not even able to do anything about it. That, that creates heaviness, weariness. It's like there's a leak in the uh, bucket of your hope. You feeling that the way I am? Not all the time, sometimes more, sometimes less, but that's why we, that's why we chose this topic, this title for our Christmas series, Hope for a Weary World, because as Christians of all people, we not only experience the weariness around us, but we also know that there's something much much better, someone much better. So here we are in chapter 42 of Isaiah, and uh, I don't know if you recall reading that, maybe you're still thinking about the kids, <laughs> but uh, it's for, in the first four verses of chapter 42, God's servant is announced to the world in a prophetic promise. And the one thing that this servant is going to do is, in verse 1, he will bring justice to the nations. 
Verse 3, in faithfulness he will bring forth justice. And in verse 4, until he establishes justice on the earth. Three times in four verses that word is found. What does it mean? Uh, We've heard a lot about that word in the last few years. It's not a new word. In fact, it's a very old word. It's a biblical word. And in the Bible, it refers to a right order of things. It's almost a synonym for righteousness or doing the right thing. As one commentator says, Isaiah is saying that the coming Messiah will do all that is necessary to restore God's right order on the earth. And of course, I chose this passage, like we're doing all Advent here, because Isaiah is picturing, pointing to, predicting Jesus. So my question to you this morning is, if Jesus, God's servant, that's what it says in verse 1, the Messiah, is promised to bring justice to the world, how does Jesus do it? Or did he? How does this connect with Christmas? Like, why even bring this up if you just told us about how weary we are with all the injustice? Do you see the dissonance here? I mean, is, is God's word true? Well, you would ask such question? Well, I'm asking it because we need to verbalize it. You see, if the servant is Jesus, and this promise says he will bring justice to the nations, and Jesus came at Christmas, then where's the justice that was promised? So today we get to unpack that conundrum, and I think we'll find hope by doing it. So first of all, let's, let's just take a look at what this prophecy says, and then we will go to the New Testament and see what Jesus said and what is said about Jesus, and then we'll look at our own lives. So this is uh, one of the four servant songs that Isaiah writes. Uh, You may know uh, the most popular one or well-known one is chapter 53, the suffering servant. But here's uh, the first one. And the word servant, of course, is self-evident, right? It means someone who comes to serve someone else. Uh, You could say this is God's anointed Messiah. This is the one person that will come from God with a certain task to serve God and other people. In the book of Isaiah, uh, he uses the word servant a number of times for the nation of Israel. So the way you look at it in sacred history is God chose the people of Israel to be his servants to the world, to bring light to the nations. But when they didn't, God sent his servant, the singular person, to fulfill the destiny of the nation. Jesus is the perfect Israel. And in this passage, it's clearly personal. And his task is to bring justice to all people. I mean, that's what it says. But his method in doing so 
according to verse uh, 2 and 3 is somewhat strange because if, if you're thinking, oh, we need peace on this earth, and many people have thought that for millennia, and the only way that they would bring it would be through the strong hand of a dictator or by brutal enforcement of those who would oppose their peace. Did you see what it says here? It's, as again, one commentator said, <laughs> this servant is quiet, unaggressive, unthreatening. It's not by boisterous words or public pronouncements, it says there in verse 2, right? He's not shouting, crying out, raising his voice in the streets. Verse 3 says that he doesn't break an already bent reed, nor does he snuff out a flickering flame. See the metaphors there for quiet, gentle, caring for not so much wicks and flames, but people who are suffering, weak. He is gentle and lowly. And yet at the end, verse 4, it says, he'll keep doing this, he won't falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth. Hmm. And God assures us, as you know, as readers, that he will do this. That's what it says in verse 8. I am the Lord. Verse 9 I announce things before they come into being. So this is a true promise. And it's clear from the New Testament that God's promised servant is Jesus. So before we get there, let's just look a little bit about the uh, Christmas stories that we're not preaching on this time, but you all know them. What kind of world was Jesus born into? Well, if I just use the word unjust, here's two examples. In Matthew chapter 1, sorry, Matthew chapter 2, remember it says Herod the Great was out to get all would-be kings. And when he heard from the Magi that there was a newborn king of the Jews, he starts to sniff out and extinguish all of those little baby boys under two years old, just in case. And it says there in Matthew 2 that God warned the Holy Family to travel to Egypt to flee from Herod's jealousy. Do you hear how dissonant that sounds? Hold it. I th this is the Messiah being born, and he's got to run from this skunk named Herod? Excuse me, uh, that sounds like uh, he is a weak little baby king. Or how about the rest of Matthew 2? Verses 19 through 23. After Herod the Great died, God said to the Holy Family, Joseph, go ahead, take your family back up to the land of Israel. Oh, and by the way, don't go to where uh, Herod's son, Archelaus, is ruling because he's going to carry out his dad's threat as well. So move up to Galilee, as we've seen in Mark's gospel. That's where Jesus was raised and he served. So again, injustice marks the beginning of Jesus' life. And maybe you say, well, okay, Jesus was born into an unjust world, but, you know, once he 
kind of grows up, becomes the God-man, and, you know, maybe now justice will roll like waters all over the earth. Well, you already know where this is going, right? Because <laughs> it didn't happen that way. So, again, I, I want you to see the problem here. If Jesus is God's servant to bring universal justice, did Jesus really fulfill it? Did the weariness of injustice completely stop in the first century? Well, of course it didn't. So if not, what does this passage mean for us today? How can we have hope in a world that's still unjust? And yet, Jesus came. So let's take a look at one example. I want to take a snapshot <clears throat> from Matthew chapter 12. So if you have your Bible, turn ahead to the New Testament. And in verses 9 through 13 of Matthew 12, Jesus healed a man with a shriveled hand. We talked about this actually in the Gospel of Mark a few weeks ago. And at the end of his healing, it says in verse 14, the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Again, you can smell the injustice, right? It reeks. Like, hold it. You want to kill someone who's bringing health and wholeness to somebody? So what did Jesus do next? See, if I, if I didn't know the story, I might think, oh, well, Isaiah promised he's going to bring justice to the earth. So watch out, Pharisees. But the next verse says, verse 15, aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill, and he warned them not to tell others about him. Again, what that's not how we bring justice, at least in our world, right? You send the army, the navy, the air force, the armed forces, the police to quell the evil. And Jesus is retreating? But look at the next verse, verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And here, in verses 18, 19, 20, and 21, is Matthew's longest quotation of the Old Testament. Shall I read it again? Why not? Here's Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. So Matthew says, Jesus withdrew to fulfill this prophecy. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. And in his name, the nations will put their hope. Now we're on to something. 
What is Matthew saying? That Jesus is the servant, yes, for sure. That Jesus fulfills this prophecy, yes, he does. Jesus comes in the gentle, not boisterous, in the lowly, not overpowering way. And that's our Savior. That's our Jesus. Now, think about this then. Uh, We've been looking at the Gospel of Mark. If you're visiting with us, we are interrupting our sermon series on the Gospel of Mark. We've got up to about chapter 9, halfway through the book. And I just wrote down the stories we've seen of Jesus doing his work, we would say maybe miracles or caring for people. Here they are. We've seen Jesus drive out a demon, heal Peter's mother-in-law, heal a leper, a paralyzed man, a man with a shriveled hand. He raised a dead girl. He healed a bleeding woman. He fed 5,000 and then 4,000. He cast out a demon from a little girl. He healed a deaf, mute man, and he gave sight to a blind man. What? What is he doing? He is bringing order to a sin-cursed world. Not only with his actions that speak of the future, just, perfect world, he's bringing those miraculous powers in, saying, away sickness, away sin, but he is also teaching people again and again. And remember, Jesus even said, this is why I came, to teach people about the kingdom of God, how to connect with their creator, and I will be their redeemer by faith. You could say Jesus was helping to set their thinking in proper order. So he was doing things to bring justice to broken bodies and broken relationships. And he was teaching people to bring, could we say, justice to their disordered ideas about life. And once he was angry at the greed of temple merchants when he cleaned out the temple, but His usual approach was subdued. Like when, you remember, he went to Lazarus, his dear friend who had died, and he stood there and wept. So what what are we seeing? Yes, Isaiah promised God's servant will bring peace to the world. So when the servant is born, he starts to bring peace, but in a way maybe we don't expect. He's bringing it in a gentle and lowly way. So the shalom, the justice, the righteousness, whatever you want to call the promises of that future world start to come in in a kind of a sneaky way, a quiet way a way you wouldn't expect. So, could we say that Jesus brought pockets of justice to individual people in a gentle and lowly way? He worked for justice 
And he also waited for complete justice. So uh, here's uh, Acts chapter 10, Peter talking to Jewish people about Jesus who had just lived, died, and rose again. And in Acts chapter 10, he summarizes the life of Jesus this way. See if this is the way you would do it. He says, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know that what has happened through the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism of John, Jesus preached with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Did you hear about that phrase? How do you summarize Jesus' life? He went about doing good. He brought, if I could say, justice where there was injustice. He was setting in order what was disordered. You know this. He never raised a revolt against Rome. He never physically attacked those Jewish leaders who plotted to kill him. He never established a movement, let's say, to overthrow the systems of injustice in the Roman Empire in the first century. He didn't do that. In fact, his final words, you'd think he would have said that, right? Right before he goes back to heaven, he tells his disciples what? Go, make disciples, baptize them, arm them, <laughs> no, organize them, no. Disciple them, teach them to obey everything I've told you. And Jesus never told them to overthrow Rome. He told them to bring, like he did, justice to the earth. And what does he say at the end of those words? And I'm with you until the end of the age. The end of the age? Yes, that's when I'm coming back, Jesus said. And that's when complete justice will come. You've heard us talk about this before, right? The already and the not yet. You have to see that when you read the New Testament. The promises that God makes for the future perfect world are starting to infiltrate this world. Now, not completely, no, but definitely, yes. So we have the Holy Spirit. Oh, Siri. Is that the example of injustice? <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So did you get the point? Watch the point. That's the point. No, that's not the point. Well, it sort of is. I always joke with, oh boy, I shouldn't say this. I always joke with people, yeah, I, I like these kind of products because um, 
They remind me of the kingdom of God. They work well to bring disorder out of chaos. Okay? There we go. Let's leave it there. So that's what's happening now. Not perfectly, for sure. But our hope, our hope is that with the little pockets of justice that Jesus brought and that you and I can bring, that's just a foretaste, a deposit, a down payment on what will be true when Jesus returns. We call that the second coming of Jesus. And what Isaiah described sounds like it comes all at once, right? He's coming to bring justice. Three times he says that. He's coming gentle. He's not even blowing out a a flame that's almost ready to die. Well, how do you put that together? Jesus tells us, you put it together, I'm fulfilling that part now, and I'll fulfill the rest when I return. It sounds like one coming in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, it's two. And so, when you read the New Testament, you get this clear call for the final justice coming, like Acts 17.31. Here's Paul preaching to pagan Greeks on Mars Hill, and he tells them, God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof to this, of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Paul knew that. He's in an unjust world, yes, but as a Christian, he's trying to bring as much justice as he can, but he's not going to be weary because justice will come someday. And that's what the book of Revelation says in chapter 19, verse 11. John said, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and makes war. Oh, yeah. Justice is coming. You know, knowing that God will right every wrong, uncover every unfairness, set right the smallest to the largest evil, that should bring us hope, real hope in this time of delay. It's delay. Don't let delay fool you into thinking that justice will never come. We're used to the way hope works, right? I mean, Christmas Day is December 25th. Many of you started celebrating it even before Halloween. (laughs) At least the retail establishment did, right, back in August. So what, is it, what are people doing? We're hoping for the day to come, and that, that generates a certain... We don't certain understand. We're hoping for the day to come. <laughs> Lord, I got it the first time. <laughs> or maybe not. <laughs> okay. So that generates the hope that someday Shep will come and take all the injustice away. There we go. All right. Now, could I just wrap this up? I need to wrap this up. And say, as Jesus followers, like Jesus, we work for justice 
and we wait for justice. Listen to what he said in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So if you've never come to Jesus, maybe you came to church today, but you've never come to Jesus. Maybe you came to see children today, but you've never really come to see Jesus. You can do that right now. He's waiting. He's here. He's ready to give you that soul rest for your weariness. And what happens is, once that happens, something changes on the inside of us. We want to take that same heart of Jesus for the unjust world and start to find a pocket of injustice and see if we can bring order to it. So I was thinking, uh, did, does the New Testament record this kind of uh, justice? Well, yeah, it does. And I just, and you can think of others probably. Here's what I thought about. In the book of Acts, chapter 6, it says there was an unjust treatment of widows who were getting daily food from the food bank. A certain group of them, based on their race, were not getting as much as the others, based on their race. So the church didn't sit back and say, well, why are we even giving people food? After all, that's the government's job. No, it didn't say that. What it said was, that's not right. We need to fix that. And it says, they said, let's uh, choose some men from both groups, both races, to fix this. And they did. They didn't say, well, then we need to take this and impose that in the Roman province of wherever they were living because we need to change the social structures of the empire. No, you don't see that in the book of Acts. You start at home to bring justice to your people. Here's another one. You all know the Roman Empire had slavery. When I say slavery, it was different than American slavery, but somewhat similar and somewhat different. But let's just assume right now that it was not just. And it wasn't. So what does Paul say when he talks to slaves or masters? Right? Run away. Overthrow. No, in fact, there's one book in the Bible devoted to this subject. You know what the book is? It's called Philemon. It's the shortest of Paul's letters. And in brief, Paul says to Philemon, there's a runaway slave of yours that I've met named Onesimus. And I'm sending him back to you because he's come to faith in Christ. And this is what it says in Philemon. Treat him no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. Do you see what just happened to the master-slave relationship in the social structure of the Roman Empire? It just got equalized. Not by passing a law but by changing hearts. That's the burden of what Christ is doing in the world today. Anytime it's tried to go up to the top, 
and change the structures, eventually it gets corrupted. Look, we've had 2,000 years to try this. Believe me, they've all ended in somewhat of a short-lived failure. That's because King Jesus will change the social structures, cosmic justice will come, but personal justice should come now from Christians. Now, those are just two examples of the ways Christians have brought God's future ultimate justice into their lives now. If you study church history in your life story, and those of other Christians maybe that you know here, you will learn about those. And Christians may disagree about how to do this. We do, right? And what to emphasize. But all agree that as Christians, we need to do good in the name of Christ to bring hope for a weary world. Someone said years ago, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people that you can, as long as you ever can. So when you're weary about things in your life that don't look fair, look to Jesus. He wants us to work for it and wait for it, to work for it as much as we can because we're bringing God's light into a dark world, but also not to grow weary, like, ah, it didn't work, it's still unfair, but to wait for it, to pray and long for our righteous servant to return and set all things right. That's why Paul wrote in Galatians, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Father, thank you for Christmas that reminds us that justice was born in an unjust world. We thank you that the just one became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So I pray today, if there's anyone here who's never looked to Christ to heal their brokenness, that right now they would do it. And then I pray that all of us would become your agents of light and justice in this dark and unjust world, looking for our hope, our Savior, who empowers us and inspires us, especially at Christmas. In his holy name we pray, amen.